Captain's Log Supplemental. Councillor Troy said I should... Ah, enough of this self-indulgence. Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to a sci-fi show we all have a very strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all young, and now in 2021, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and uh, check out Star Trek from a different perspective. I am Greg Tito, and I am excited to say hi to my friends on this journey. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you. I, on the on a Mannheim effect scale, uh, I, I'm at at least a five. Uh, so Ooh. we all know what that means. <laughs> There's five Kates, uh, and they're exactly. all doing different dance moves, I think. We're great, 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 great. <laughs> Eric Gratton, how are you doing, sir? Well, I mean, if self-indulgence is off the table, I don't even know what I'm doing here. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad to be included. Yeah. (laughs) And Jimmy G, what is up? Uh, I'm doing very well. Nice open. Uh, I can honestly say I may have thought of doing the same type of opening, but I absolutely would have overwritten it. (laughs) (laughs) That was all, uh, mostly born of the fact that I'm like, oh shit, we've been doing these captain you know, log entries to start, and I like, I didn't write anything. All right, well, I'll just take a cue from the episode here. Happy accident. Exactly. Yes, we are Gen X. We do not do the extra work if we do not need to do the extra work. That's just the shape of this lovely podcast. Gosh, I thought that was just me, but it is all of us together on this journey, isn't it? Yeah. This episode is We'll Always Have Paris. It is the 22nd episode, sorry, 23rd episode aired. uh, And it is a sci-fi powerhouse, uh, I guess is the word I'm looking for, right? Like it it actually deals with uh, the Manheim effect, as Kate was talking about, time and, and gravity, but also has a lot of really great uh, character moments for uh, Captain Picard. We get to hear all about his his past loves. Uh, and it debuted on May 2nd, 1988, which had a whole bunch of stuff going on that I want to tell you all about. Because Other than Cinco t- de Mayo? Tell me some of these things. So yeah, uh, for us theater kids, uh, David Mamet's Speed the Plow premiered on Broadway on this day. Wow. That's yeah. the Madonna view. I was about to say was that was not? the Madonna one, right? It was a big uh, one. It did not do well from what I remember. It did not get the greatest of reviews, if I remember correctly. Uh, and neither did the Jeremy Piven uh, version that came out much later. That was like in the, the 2000s, it might have been. Uh, and that one was a stinker. The Revival? That's yeah, fantastic. I would have. It. it was ah. called. It was called Speedier the Plow. <laughs> well, and then there's the Durang, right? The Speed the Play, that is so fun. Yeah, uh, he does his, his mammoth uh, send up his Speed the Play, which uh, you know more to it. Um, also, and uh, uh, you know, transferring from the highbrow of Broadway to uh, sports. It is uh, when Michael Jordan in 1988 scored 50 points in the playoffs and then scored another 55 points uh, in the following day. And it's the first time that there was consecutive 50-point games, uh, and it was like the beginning of, of Michael Jordan's rise uh, to complete dominance and stardom in 1988. Uh, and 
he did not win. Uh, the Bulls did not win that year, but they uh, were defeated by the Pistons, and that pushed them into doing more. Uh, and it was a big deal, the fact that he could drop 50 just because he was mad about it. Got to beat the bad boys. <laughs> yeah, Isaiah Thomas. Can't get through the bad boys. Is that uh, Lambeer? Yeah. Yep. yep, and they had just Mars. beat the Celtics the year before uh, yeah, to yeah. take over the Eastern Conference. It was, uh, it's a lot. The number one song was Wishing Well by Terrence Trent Darby. Wishing <gasps> Well. Underneath the sycamore tree. That's why I remember that part. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I uh, queued up the video to that song as we was preparing for this episode. And uh, he's got some amazing dance moves. Uh, uh, yeah, he does. Really nailed it. Terrence Trent Darby. Yeah. Uh, the number one film uh, was Colors, which was directed by... Dennis Hopper. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Starring Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. It was about gangs in Los Angeles, which was, uh, uh, I guess this was on the, the rise of that type of narrative as well, because there was not that West Coast rap scene quite yet that learned us all about it in the early 90s. Oh, it was there. It just wasn't wasn't huge in the, the pop sense, but it was absolutely there. Absolutely. And I... You know, I always think of uh, before Inside the Actor's Studio became completely uh, self-indulgent, insufferable, as we might yeah, discuss. Right? Dennis Hopper was on there, and they were talking about doing this one, and he was watching Robert Duvall perform, and he went up to him at one point, like, very timidly. They'd worked together before. They'd done um, both as actors. They were in True Grit mm. together uh, back in the late 60s. And then... Uh, he just went up to him and said, look, uh, you know, Bobby, I don't know if you're if you don't want to be on the movie or what. But I mean, you're giving me nothing. And he said he looked really confused and then looked at him and said, are you watching me? Or are you watching this, the, the, the screen? Like, are you watching the playback? He says, I'm watching I'm watching you. You're five feet from me. He says, no, don't do that. Watch me on the little TV. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I love that shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's film acting too, right? You gotta you gotta make small choices that somehow resonate for the camera. Um, and, this is why I uh, do terribly on film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's one school of thought. I also, you know, you look back at most of your favorite performers and most of your favorite performances, and they're not what you would call subtle. So I think it's less small than a different kind of commitment and a different kind mm. of, of, of like where your eyes go and how, how you control that part. Mm. But I mean, I don't think Al Pacino's given a, a subtle performance in his life. It's all very <laughs> clear, very upfront, right there in your face. So like, I, it's interesting. I, you know, fuck it. <laughs> Who knows? Well, this film also has an interesting fact uh, connected to it because uh, the filming of this a year ago, uh, Sean Penn punched a extra in the face and was arrested uh, for taking a picture of him uh, on set with no permission. And I always thought that story was about a paparazzi. Yeah. Like he was just walking down the street and he got hit. I didn't realize it was an extra on the filming of this uh, movie that led to that incident. Totally. That's a detail I'd missed, too. Yeah. Uh, but that was another one of those 80s. Are we sure he didn't do that to someone else just walking down the street? <laughs> you know, I did not make sure that All that was the one and up. only <laughs> episode of Sean Penn punching uh, someone who's photographing him. But uh, I remember that just being like a very 
it, it was on all every joke. It was in, you know, it, there was a sketch about it on SNL. There was, you know, jokes about it on late night television for years and years and years. And that's what I associated with Sean Penn was this story and the fact that he was dating Madonna at the time, I think. Right. Yeah. Or they had been married already. I don't remember. Crazy little details there. And then uh, also, you know, bad behavior. This is the day, May 2nd, 1988, when Pete Rose was suspended after pushing an emp- umpire uh, at, while he was serving as manager of the Reds. Uh, that was the beginning of the end for Pete Rose uh, because <laughs> uh, within a year he is ousted from baseball because of all of the uh, scandals around betting uh, that he had. Uh, and I think some, in some ways this incident was just what soured Pete Rose in the commissioner's office. And then they opened up an investigation sort of uh, soon after. And uh, like I said, it was the beginning of the end. I definitely remember Pete Rose, uh, the the scandal. I, uh, I'm trying to remember if I, I don't know that I remember that initial push, uh, but uh, it was sort of the first time that sort of world of, uh, gambling and uh you know like wait that's you can do that <laughs> but apparently you can't do that um so i learned both simultaneously that it's possible but not advisable it's true it's true weird connection to current well not necessarily current politics but call it the john dowd was the uh, lawyer hired by the commissioner of baseball to investigate pete rose in that gambling and he was a legal advisor for the Trump administration uh, for two years in the middle there. So uh, I'm not sure what that means, but it, it hurts me. <laughs> I want to make sure it hurt all of you too. <laughs> well, the commissioner of baseball that, that resolved the, the Pete Rose whole thing was, you know, Bart Giamatti, who's yes. the shortest tenured commissioner in baseball history. He was only commissioner for like five months and then he died. And uh, uh, we know him not only as the former president of Yale and uh, commissioner of baseball and president of the National League, but as the father of one Paul Giamatti, fantastic character actor, known and beloved to all. And that when he punches his father in uh, Sideways, I think, he punches like a portrait of his father. Uh, It's actually a portrait of his his actual father. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) Uh, which I always was like, hmm, I wonder if there's some something to unpack there for for young Paul Giamatti. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, all right. Well, moving on to the episode itself. There was amazing. Uh, well, well, two um, guest stars of note. Michelle Phillips uh, is the oh. love interest here for Jean-Luc Picard. And- all the leaves are brown yes. and the sky is gray. I don't know how I didn't know about that until today. Like I did not know that she was in the mama's founding member of the mama's and the papa's wrote that song. She's actually uh, a credit of writing uh, Monday, Monday, I think uh, as well as California dreaming Mm -hmm. and the mother of course of China Phillips uh, from Wilson Phillips, which will be hold on for one more day. Hold on. And Caddyshack 2. She also yeah. acted in Caddyshack 2. <laughs> um, um, I I didn't realize this was her at all either. I knew that she acted and, and that she's a terrific actor, actually. But I had I hadn't seen this episode in you know I'm sure 30 years, 
and I had not put together that she was in this. It's it's so very cool. I went back and looked at some of the other stuff that she did, and uh, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is rent. Uh, oh, what's the? Oh, what is the one with Audrey Hepburn um, and Ben Gazzara? Bloodline is mm-hmm. the name. I've always meant to see it, and I've never gotten around to it. 1979, I think. Uh, the only rated R Audrey Hepburn movie. So I'm going to oh, go back and, and check that out for uh, for Ms. Uh, Michelle Phillips' contribution as well. Yeah, she had a long career in addition to, you know, uh, being in The Mamas and the Papas. She was on Knott's Landing uh, for pretty much the entire run of that primetime soap. I never watched an episode, but I definitely remember seeing it advertised a lot uh, in the <laughs> 80s. I rewatched Let It Ride this week. It's on one of the streaming services. Uh, one of my favorite Richard uh, Dreyfus, David Johansson, Terry Gar vehicles. And uh, Michelle Phillips is terrific in that one, too. I love you said that like there's multiple vehicles that would have got to be. <laughs> small world, very small God, there's, town. There's so many Terry Gar uh, vehicles out there. <laughs> Oh, Terry Gar's the best. She is. And all of her vehicles are brilliant. But more of them needed uh, David Johansson in the passenger seat. <laughs> Rod Loomis is another co-star in this uh, as Mannheim himself. Uh, he is notable, most known for playing Sigmund Freud in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh! So cool. That's awesome. <laughs> He's kind of a genre superstar. He's got all those TV uh, shows too, with Quantum Leap and Stargate, and and he know, was in the uh, Beastmaster. Beastmaster. Oh! Beastmaster's amazing. It's so good. And Jack's Love Beastmaster. Back, one of my very favorite thrillers, starring uh, young James Spader as basically the reincarnation of Jack the Ripper. Ooh. Check it out. <laughs> Uh, this was written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer. Um, and they are on record as saying that they wanted this to be a very romantic, uh, episode, uh, for, for Picard going so far as to, uh, pitching that Picard would actually get it on in this episode, not distastefully. Uh, it would be all, it was meant to be off screen during a commercial break. Uh, very but- classy. Apparently, everyone vetoed that, uh, including Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting that the way they wrote it, because the writer strike happened literally when uh, they went on strike when they were filming the scene where Data is actually putting the shiny thing and the sparkly thing at the end. (laughs) Uh, And so they had to cut right there. And uh, the writer went to Berman. He was like, "Uh, we're out of script. (laughs) We can't. We don't know what to do. So they were calling the writer and saying, I know you can't say anything, but would Data say this, yes or no? Wow. <laughs> would Riker say this, yes or no? <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Blink twice if he says engage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Labor union busting. <laughs> right. Because it was a totally different script. Like I read that this whole thing like the, where Data's in, that was supposed to be Worf. Riker and Data all there, and they had to go through like a laser minefield, and Riker had to cl- cl- climb down a tube. Uh, all of that was <laughs> just gone. Wow. I feel very cheated. Yeah. I want all of that. <laughs> very little of the script came through because of the writer's strike. So yet again, a script is short shrifted because of outside circumstances. We don't get what the, the writers actually wanted. Like... 
Picard getting it on. <laughs> I mean, it would have been it would have been great. Uh, he's he's got a. I mean, you know, you meet your old flame. That, of course, makes sense, you know, even though you piss off your, your <laughs> Dr. Crusher. But we'll get to that point. Um, the star date for this is 41697.9. But it's important to note, uh, as we will get to with the uh, with the holodeck scene, that this is the first time an actual date is stated in mm. uh, Star Trek Next Generation. It may, it may also be for uh, the original series as well uh, when he mentions April 9th was the date uh, uh, for the holodeck. But it is actually uh, that star date and it begins with a fencing match uh, on board um, with uh, Lieutenant Dean uh, who gets to deliver some really nice uh, open-eyed lines of like, what was that happening? But you know, they get the exercise of, of, of having a fencing match here. I am here for sweaty uh, Picard. Just like the fencing, the sweatiness, the all of it. I am a and fan. Altogether less sweaty than the lieutenant across from him, of course. Yes. Much more composed even when fighting for his life. And the, the outfit that Jean-Luc is wearing uh, uh, th- does something for me. Uh, first of all, it definitely has a little bit of a cod piece uh, to it. Uh, if you go back and take a look, it's there. Uh, very highlighting. Uh, and it's um, it's shiny. Uh, and so I am all for it. Well, a cop should be standard <laughs> in, in anything where you're swinging swords very quickly at each other. Uh, I, I also support it uh, for overlapping, if not completely the same reasons as young Kate. Do we, uh, and do we think that that was Patrick Stewart? Because I do. Like, yeah. What do you I mean? would like to imagine that. Not a stunt double? Not yeah. a stunt double. I don't see any reason to sure. disabuse you of it, but I bet it was not. No, stop. I I just want to believe. You don't think so? I mean, all the time with the RSE, he definitely has. Oh, I'm sure he's that. great at it. I'm just also sure that it costs less not to use him and they can do it faster because he's shooting something else. Ah, true. Uh, so I, I mm. think for budgetary reasons and to keep shit moving, it's unlikely to be Patrick Stewart. Mm. And that's why you put them in a mask. Well, well that, I... and that's so they don't poke their eye out. <laughs> well, yeah, but if it's your star, you're probably, you know, you want people to see your star. Uh, so I, I tend to think that that's probably the answer. I tend to choose to ignore you. Absolutely, you should. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I even hesitated to bring it up. I I think that this is absolutely brilliant choreography and direction for uh, trying to get some fencing into something. And that's one of the reasons. I think you, you mask up so that it doesn't matter who is doing it. Um, lots of little fencing cheats that are clearly not anything but choreography. Uh, but it fits my kind of mantra as a choreographer perfectly. Like I want fast over real. I want clear over fast and I want as safe as possible. This is super duper safe with all the padding and everything else they've got going. And so they get to fucking throw these things at each other. They're going very quickly. They're just mostly never, ever pointing them, pointing them at each other, <laughs> which is obvious if you watch, but it's, you know, that's not a whole lot different from something like Princess Bride it's just that in that one the camera moves and in this one it doesn't so like I I think that it's really terrific it's long takes that give the actors some space to move real enough for me when I was 12 real enough for me now I loved it 
I loved it too because of uh, the physicality. You don't get to see Picard kind of do this type of stuff because he's not in the away teams. He doesn't do like the kind of action, but here you get to see him, uh, you know, that he's, you know, still athletic, still doing uh, fitness. But I just really love that scoreboard in the background. The fact that you can see like where you were, the, the point was made on the suit was, I don't know, a cool little 24th century nod to like technology and fencing has improved. Yeah. I like I like the fact that it's a it seems to be a dedicated fencing gym too because he oh, yeah. goes and he puts you know it's got the little back things and it's not the it's not the holodeck because he goes from putting away his uh I'm going to say pointy stabby thing uh <laughs> foil foil is that what we call it is it a foil I think they were using foils yeah. sure that's, uh and then goes to the to the to the holodeck so I like the fact that it's sort of I'd like to think that uh, he added that uh, to his prerequisites. That was on his writer. <laughs> on his writer, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I need the M and M separated by color and a fencing gem. Or I'm not taking this fucking post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we get that great uh, sci-fi moment where he, you know, gives the salute to uh, Lieutenant Dean, and the line is repeated. Uh, there was the, the, the strategy of a desperate man. And we get that twice, and it's weird seeing it even now, knowing yeah. uh, you know, and having rewatched it a couple of times, it still just feels off-putting. Yeah. Uh, when you see that for the first time, what did you think of that effect uh, to start? Oh, I like it. It was a nice lead-in to some of the true sci-fi stuff that we're about to see, and it's uh, one of the the saving graces of this episode is that it has some some uh, nice sci-fi stuff going on in it. So it was nice to see that teaser. For sure. And then we get Picard uh, swiftly leaving and going up to the bridge after uh, Riker confirms that they too experienced uh, this weird phenomenon. And they find a, a distress signal, which mentions Paul Mine Mannheim. And you see Picard get visibly upset at that name. Yeah, he has that great towel moment like he has that initial sort of uh, reaction to it and then as they're sitting there sort of talking about it that little towel snap that he does which is just so good and and visceral does that come there though Kate? because i remember the towel thing and it stuck in my mind but i thought it was before he heard the Mannheim name no no is it's it after it's after what yeah 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 yeah, it's after the tease, so it's the beginning of uh, uh, this. The you know after the credits roll and everything and the intro, uh, Picard tries to explain why Mannheim means something, and there you know even Riker's like, did, "Did you know him? You seem a little bit miffed right now <laughs> because that business of slapping the right. towel feels very not not Picard like." Right? Can we can we go back to the very first line of Act Two though, where Jordy says, you know. Um, we've got four hours and some until we arrive and the captain just sits down in his fencing uniform sitting there. And it feels like Jordy's going like, Hey, <laughs> you, uh, you just going to be 
Captain Fencing Pants now or what? <laughs> you got you got plenty of time to go change here, Cap. You don't you don't gotta just be like worried on the bridge. You can you can go change right. your pants. Right. You know your friend we know you're French, but a shower is sometimes a good thing. <laughs> you got your own office right off the bridge. You don't keep a uniform in there? Yeah. I mean it's very much Captain is the first word, and then he says, We've got four hours till we get there, and then Captain sits down in his sweaty shit. Yeah. It's wonderful. And whips around the towel that uh, <laughs> has sweat on it, uh, ostensibly, right? Like, come on, dude. It's gross. just wringing wet. It's another obvious pre-COVID film shot. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's going to be a lot of those over the next seven years of doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, but then we get that scene with Deanna uh, mentioning to the captain, hey, you might not want me to say this out loud on the bridge. Okay you need to work out some of your things because I'm getting strong jealousy vibes from you. But isn't that just, that's terrible writing because like Kate brought up, everyone saw it. Like Eric brought up, like every character reacted to it. It was like, Deanna, we all saw it. You, you, you have, you have noticed nothing that nobody on the, the ship has noticed. Like you're, you're bringing nothing to the table. Yeah. Having a boss with a poker face as bad as Picard's in that moment. Like that can be off-putting. Like you've—he's got his finger on the literal trigger, and everyone around him is just like, "Ooh, this this could go really poorly," and sinks out of the way. And he's, like, "I'm fine." Like you just don't want that in your starship captain. I got it. Uh, so then, yeah, Troy uh, gets to him a little bit, and he decides to go to the holodeck reluctantly. He checks the time again to be like, "How much time do we have left?" Two hours. Okay, I guess I'll go and do this thing that I've I've already I already know exactly what it's gonna be. It's this holodeck, it's this date, it's this <laughs> cafe, it's everything is it's all present in his mind. Uh and we get I I think one of the best ways to use the holodeck, which is a way to interact with uh exposition uh here, mm. because we get him viscerally in that moment, in that memory, and he's not telling us about it. He's uh the, the character is He's talking about it. But what did you guys think of the performance uh, by the actor playing the waiter? That's my favorite part about this whole scene. Oh, he's great. And that dude's been in everything. Yes, his name is Jean-Paul Vignon. Uh, he's Edouard, the act, uh, the waiter. And a little weird note, he, he is uh, the only uh, character in Star Trek who is supposed to be from France and actually the actor uses French as his uh as his first language. Oh. Uh, Fun. I think that was a little dig at Jean-Luc Picard <laughs> being an Englishman. Right. Um, uh, I don't know if this is it, of interest or importance, but on his little tablet, you know his little glass tablet that in the future that's all wait- waiters have, uh the items were Croissants uh, de lithium, Targ Klingon a la mode, in Tribbles dans les blankets. Wow. So they had a little bit of fun with the tablet. Yeah, that's what, do you th- what do you think is inside a Tribble when you skin it? And then <laughs> More put tribble. a blanket it's, over it. More it's Tribbles. Like a, yeah, it's, it's like a hamster. <laughs> or a... Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's the larger one, right? 
The hamster. So it's like it's like hamster on crute. Then is what you're yeah, saying is okay. basically what what we're talking about. A fair about. amount of meat. Yeah. It was a writer's strike. Okay, no one could write yeah, these jokes. They just <laughs> they were just putting them in on the menu just for funsies. I want to know because uh, because Picard very very early on spills to this waiter character. You know, what What would you do if you were here and you were waiting and, you know, and does that nice little turn around and it's like, well, I assume she came because I never did. <laughs> what, what? Uh, so it's a nice little turn of uh, expectation there. Um, but uh, that ends up being then the the sort of program that gets run. Like, is that. Is that a function of the program to, to listen and learn? Because the next mm. thing that happens is yes. a woman goes, I've been left here. Someone's supposed to come. That and was like, my question. Like helps him like live out what it must have looked like from her point of view, I guess. I don't know. Like, I'm like, is this just the luckiest programming ever? Or is this a function of this programming? I think of the AI in this as being a dungeon master like you can tell mm. it a place and then the first person you meet teases out of you what you're thinking and then the next person you meet is who the dungeon master puts in front of you next do you know what i mean yeah and, yeah and what a great choose your own adventure kind of way to play it you know it's like everything on the holodeck is just a, a version of the man who knew too little uh, that Bill Murray movie, right, where he thinks he's in a play the entire time—it's wonderful. What? Yeah, and what if that was uh, only really instituted after the binars messed with the AI? Oh, canon! I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's canon. It's it's real. Uh, so then we get the uh, introduction of this uh, French girl. Uh, her name is Gabrielle, although I don't think we we hear that in. Uh, the dialogues played by Isabel Lorca. Um, and I think Kate, you were mentioning how the fashion in this. Oh my gosh. This episode is uh fashion forward. Uh, it's very skintastic. Um, <laughs> she's wearing ha- a quarter of an outfit from as far as I can tell. Uh, that's all ruffles and um, sort of uh, Lilu Dallas multipass uh, bands of fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Just to... <laughs> To pass Brilliant. the censors. <laughs> a couple of couple of feathers, burlesque feathers added to <laughs> Lilu's outfit. Yeah. It's I like extremely that. And Michelle, Michelle Michelle Phillips uh outfit also has that just free flowing side where they just ran out of fabric or time. Uh we'll blame the writer strike for that one too. Uh, well, everybody kind of looks like that a episode of, of an outfit. Everybody looks kinda of like that episode of Battlestar Galactica with Jerry Orbach. You know, where where it's very 70s and you expect them to have gold chains. And uh, that's just still where this particular show is stuck in places. That pantsuit that Michelle uh, Phillips wears, though, is pretty baller. I have to yeah, say. definitely. Forever. Right out of Xanadu. <laughs> it was it was part of the fashion. Uh, so then we get Picard going down this you know, memory lane until he's like, ah, screw this. I'm this. I don't, this self-indulgence is too much. And I actually really liked that because it was basically him calling out the writers be like, this scene is going on too long. We need to get to the other parts of what's going on. (laughs) Oh God. I would love for that to have been an ad lib. Yeah. That's just perfect. (laughs) They just ran out of scene and he was like, great. 
done. Um, but I kind of, I also like that just as his character as well, because uh, he knows that uh, he's going to have to confront this person uh, and what he did. Uh, and that's probably more important than this practice run that he's going on right here. But, well, and it's a super effective uh, twist in kind of all writing, right? Is to have a moment where the character and the audience arrive at the same thought at the same time. So, you know, if you get to that point and you think, oh, this is just, this is pointless, have one of the characters go, this is pointless, and you can move on. And you don't have to necessarily destroy everything that came before, especially if it was useful. Uh, let the actors get to where the audience was, you know, and it becomes an effective way to tell a story. I, I, I love having him say that and move on. And then... I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but then he totally borks what he ends up saying to her the first time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Despite all that practice, he's just like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, which is amazing. But uh, he gets up. Before that, we get the uh, the amazing scene where he uh, goes back to the bridge. Uh, Riker tells them that this effect is, you know, system-wide. It's happening, you know, 90 light years away. Uh, and it's not just, uh, you know, uh, what's going on with these coordinates that have been given. Uh, it's a bit of a um, trail. What's that called? Breadcrumb trail uh, that that uh, Mannheim had left here to go to a new place. Um, yeah, go ahead, Kate. Uh, Data totally makes a fart joke in this moment. Because they talk about the fact that there is this effect has happened like throughout uh, the galaxy. <laughs> and they say that it was described as a hiccup. And he says it can't be described as a hiccup because a hiccup is an is a inhalation of air. Whereas this is more of a and then they cut him off. And I was like, they just <laughs> totally legit made a fart joke. That's awesome. Data had a lot of really funny moments in this. He's He has these takes behind the people talking like four or five times with Jordy and Riker. Like the captain's up there saying something and Data just looks at the person next to him like, are you seeing this shit? <laughs> and it's just, he's like, you know, I thought I understood what humans were going to do from time to time, but this shit is blowing my mind. Yes. There's, there's one in particular where I think it might have been a... Uh, an editing or a directing error because the same look happens in consecutive shots with Riker and Dana. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it, yeah, you, it's memorable for that reason too. And I really, what do you guys think was the most embarrassing moment that got repeated? Like somewhere on the enterprise, somebody had just had one of the most embarrassing moments of their lives and had oh to go God. relive that shit. <laughs> I'm thinking of an oh SNL sketch God. from the mid '90s. Uh, <laughs> God, it's so it's so iconic, but it's um, Dumb and Dumber. There was uh, the two actors in that: uh, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels, who had done a lot of uh, other roles that were more dramatic, uh, but this was a very comedic role for him. And he's got that scene where he he. he has diarrhea into the into the toilet right and he's on a talk show and they're like trying to he's trying to talk about his serious roles and they keep i think we have a clip and they keep showing that clip over and over again <laughs> so that That's in my amazing. mind is the most embarrassing thing that happened on the ship uh that got repeated over and over again yeah somebody 
<laughs> oh, that's hor- that's horrifying. Telling yourself, flush it, flush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Oh, that that uh, is exactly what I was looking for. I'm curious why the breadcrumbs, why why they're taking them the long way to get to the planet. Did, did, is it because of the writer's strike that the episode was running short? So they just thought they would throw in Here's a couple stops along the way. Yeah. The thing I read about the writer's strike said that there was a lot of conversations that just kind of ended uh, and they, they couldn't pick them back up because the writers weren't there to finish them. So very well could be, it was going somewhere else with that breadcrumb uh direction and uh there wasn't anywhere to clean it up because it does doesn't make sense if you need help you give a direct route um because it's not like they were there were there were ways of checking who was coming as you went to the wrong place like okay this is the right person or people who can help us so we'll give them now the next it was just wrong coordinates like psych you didn't have to go here yeah i wonder if it also had to do with the potential for a nefarious angle that Mannheim was doing. Like he was trying to keep it secret and the people died in the accident. Maybe that was something right. that he was aware of. They don't really explore that at all. It does say in the write up too, that the, the original script Mannheim was much more of a loose cannon. Mm. So the character was, I think not fleshed out mm. ultimately. That makes sense. That very well could be it. But they do end up at the Vandar system, which is a binary system with a huge red giant and a pulsar. And uh, that becomes important later on as they realize that might have been an energy source. Uh, But there's a force field on the planet. And Picard gets very agitated and excited uh, in giving orders here because he's going to talk to his ex-girlfriends. And in fact, when he introduces himself, he has that moment of like, this is Captain... This is the Starship Enterprise. And that's one of the times Geordi and Data look at each other. It's great. You know, I think, uh, Eric, we need to have your cousin back on her. If you can just ask her, as a sci-fi writer, uh, if you had your druthers, would you ever not write a binar system? Like, when you're just thinking about a new system, wouldn't you always go with something like a binar? <laughs> just something that's automatically like, more interesting than what we why got. Why wouldn't you? It's a yeah. binar. It's twice as interesting as whatever our system is That's called. just math, guys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dude, it's simple, it's simple calculus. I blame George Lucas. <laughs> hey, Tess, if you listen to this, uh, you'd be the only family member that listens to this. Uh, just uh, throw me a text on that, or I'll do it after the show. So the 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 woman's voice uh, doesn't seem to recognize uh, who's talking, uh, and she has that moment of like, oh, I'm, I think I can turn off the force field. She does, and she gets beamed directly to uh, sick bay with uh, Doctor Manheim, who's going through uh, some type of trauma, lots of convulsions, time and trauma. We it's the get, worst kind. We get that uh, uh, Picard's like, I'll be there at the at the sick bay. He goes in the door. And we get that wonderful moment that we've been, uh, uh, you know, building up to here, where uh, Janice Mannheim turns and sees her old love uh, that stiffed her in that cafe in Paris all those years ago, and he says, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so smooth. Hey, girl, hey. My favorite part of this, though, is because she says something like, uh, oh, I knew it was you. I thought I recognized your voice. And of course, you're here to save me after all these years. And Dr. Crusher hears that as she's administering to Dr. Mannheim. And that look to the camera, it's half a second. It's not even half a second. It's this quick look, but it speaks volumes. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's got, like, her full hand inside a guy's chest holding a couple of arteries and shit. And, like, that happens and she fully stops what she's doing and looks over her shoulder. Okay. What do you think? What do you... What, have, you well, have you felt that? Yeah. This... This... This episode it i mean it doesn't surprise me that you said at the beginning that this episode was meant to be romantic because this is the most explicitly laid out that there is a potential love connection between picard and uh crusher because besides at, you know we'll get there but besides this moment you know later on there's the troy sort of check in the Hey girl, how are you doing? Uh, check in between them where it's just, I mean, it's very explicit. And my husband like was like, wait, what is, is this a thing? And then I had to go through and explain all of the episodes where it is a thing, but how it's much more subtly a thing. Uh, it's interesting because you know I you know I ship them uh, mm-hmm. hard and I'm for it, uh, but I don't love the way it's executed specifically in that, in that scene with Troy. Um, it's just... I, I, maybe it's because it's so explicit and so, you know. Well, it uh, never goes anywhere, right? I right. mean, we know that whatever, however they handle it right then, it's never going to get off the ground. So it's it's fruitless. It's like, well, you're wasting my time and I know that already. I'd like to know if Troy treats all of her friends this way. Like if she's in the elevator with you and she suddenly just turns to you and goes, so you ever going to do anything about that person you've had a crush on? And and you're just like, that's disconcerting. Like, I know, you know, we all know, you know, but like just coming out with it like that. Jeez. That's a very good point. Yeah. And, uh, I, I that look from uh, Crusher made me laugh out loud when I saw yeah. it because it was Ugh. there's so much there and and it felt like this nice release and we don't get it later on until until we get to talk about it but you know uh, Mannheim is of course uh, still convulsing not doing quite well uh, and uh, Crusher is able to uh, keep him uh, sedated. Uh, Janice says to, you know, uh, take her leave and kisses Picard on the cheek, which I think elicits even more yes. looks from the crew. Oh, right. And it's another data look as well. I think he looks at Riker this time. Right. There's this great moment, too, where she's sort of explaining about what right before she leaves, she's explaining what happened. You know, we needed this specific planetary system. There was this accident. Everybody died. And they're talking to her about, like, so what, was he doing dangerous things? And she's like, well, I don't think it was dangerous. I mean, every time he did an experiment, he made me stay in a protected room. But other than that, I have no idea that he was doing anything. I'm like, where have you been that there's, like, particular rooms that you have to hang out in and you're just blindsided by the fact that this might have been dangerous? I had to put on a leather vest and I had to cover my face with plexiglass and and put the lotion on the back. <laughs> Everything was fine all the time. 
I also love, I didn't even think about it until just now, but like the fact that he's doing these experiments on, you know, time and gravity is great and all, but if he's discovered the technology for a safe room to protect against <laughs> temporal anomalies, isn't that more important technology? <laughs> he couldn't see the forest for the trees. He really couldn't, but he could see different dimensions. Uh, so we get to, uh, after that scene, uh, the three officers are talking. It's, you know, Picard, Data, and Riker. They go into the turbo lift, and then the turbo lift door opens, and it's them again seeing each other. It's the Spider-Man I- gif. I wrote down, it's weird the way it goes from the lift to them outside the lift, and both of them are them along the continuum, and I am definitely too high for this episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> that blew my fucking mind. If we did the Quentin Tarantino version, which we're going to still be gifted at some point, they would one side would have had to murder the other, because only one... Oh yeah, groups would be able to you know continue. There would immediately been phasers up and a standoff happening. And don't you yeah. fucking shoot my dad! <laughs> <laughs> I just they're talking about Noonie and so <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's handled so it's so cool though. Like I love I love the way that particular flip is is handled because uh, it is it's just trippy as fuck. And then and and feels like the two datas are just talking to each other as if they're bugs. right. It's so awesome. Yeah. And that leads to why he's the one who goes on the away team later. Uh, but it is a really cool effect. Um, and we also uh, start to have an away team to go down to see if they can figure out what's happening or access the computers to find out what's what's going on. We get Transporter Chief Herbert, uh, which is uh, an interesting co-star here. He's played by Lance Spellerberg. He didn't do too much else, but... Uh, he actually reprises this exact role uh, in a season two episode. So we'll get to that oh. in the Icarus factor. But I thought that was odd that they job, Lance. they kept the idea of uh, of a, uh, you know, a bit player here to come back and, and have the same the same name and the same role. It was uh, it was pretty interesting. But he loses them. They're not able to uh, uh, beam down. And uh, he has the great line where he's like, well, you're lucky you're back at all, Riker, with your attitude. <laughs> I noticed I noticed that Riker and Data came back and then there's a delay and then Worf comes back and they never address that. I mean, other than that, you know, it was touch and go and maybe we're supposed to like feel like, oh, no, Worf isn't going to make it through. But it's never addressed. Right. It's never like I I, I, I want to know what happened to him. Did he live eons uh, <laughs> during that time period? <laughs> They were the using the copy battle against demons. Oh yeah, he, 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 they're battling against demons uh, in a in, you know Dante's Inferno type of narrative that we'll explore with Tarantino's movie, or yeah. it was just him being pasted in from the copy they had in the databanks. This whole episode, there there keeps being these little moments where things just aren't. It's it's like Jimmy said, it was just you you can lay out that she has the hots for Picard, but nothing's going to happen about it. Like no one's. Where it's uh, like a an improv show where everyone's full of ideas but no follow through, <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's just dropping little nuggets of. But what if Worf came back later? And like, cool, we'll we'll flesh that out with the writers later. But there's never an opportunity to flesh <laughs> anything out. It, it would have been fun if for like seven or eight episodes after they killed Tasha, they 
had a moment in each episode where it seemed like they'd killed somebody else because at some point like you could just do it because you've got the cred now you can kill two more characters in the next 10 episodes if you want so they should they should have pulled that string a little bit it's fun Mm -hmm. Well, I do, I do uh, note that this episode makes no mention of what has happened to the episode before. There's right. no sort of, like, checking in with Worf to see if he's okay. There's no sort of, like, this is an odd moment. Uh, it's just life continues on. Which is odd because it was produced after. Like, some of the, the ones that were made were done out of order. So you're like, okay, well, this one was filmed before... You know, they cut Tasha's scenes or whatever and, and, you know, let it go on. But this was definitely shot after they shot Skin of Evil. So, hmm. yeah, it's 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 a, it's a weird omission. They get to it in other episodes uh, in this first season, but it doesn't go much farther than a line or just right. a mention. Then, well, Wesley's they... working on the mural somewhere on the ship. <laughs> no, where's Wesley? <laughs> the yeah, guy so Wesley who saved the ship it. more times than anybody. He's AWOL. <laughs> Well, his his particular time warp being in puberty was particularly embarrassing. He's the one. He was like popping. He was popping a zit uh, into the thing yeah. and like like pussing it up on the mirror. And he had to see that like four times. He was popping a zit, my friend. That's not what he was popping. <laughs> <laughs> he is a teenager. That's right. He might have had the best time warp out of them all. <laughs> <laughs> he was California dreaming. But I love, you know, uh, on the heels of what um, Kate was saying with not acknowledging Tasha passing away, then the very next mission, after having lost one of the most important people, they're like, what should we do? Hold on. Riker, Data, and Jordy, three <laughs> of the most important people. Why don't you go down and check out the time anomaly planet and <laughs> peel it out, see if it's okay? <laughs> Well, they do let one person into Starfleet Academy every year, so they've got plenty of candidates to fill these these sudden vacancies. Uh, So yes, Mannheim wakes up, and he has a conversation with Janice, who's there waiting, says it was all worth it. His mind's going between two different places at once. Uh, and he has those, uh, you know, really strong acting moments of, I am seeing too many things. What did you guys think of that? I thought they dealt Rod Loomis dirty. (laughs) I think it's a really rough role to have. Like most of the time you're passed out on a table, you know, they talk about you, but not to you. Like that's some rough shit. Yeah. And then he has to go from that to a really complex emotion to play, which is meeting your wife's ex-boyfriend that she still hangs up, you know, the, the, um, you know, star for, right? Like, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment. Say what they made him say. (laughs) Sorry, Kate, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you go. Because I forget what he said. No, me too. That's the whole <laughs> thing. Says, Take care of her. Ugh. Oh, that's the yeah. That's a, in a little bit. But this one, he says like, "Oh yes, I've been told about you." Yeah, he, he but says, "But not is everything." That... Yeah. And they're like, "What does that mean?" He's kind of a creeper, and like, it's it's just, a, oh, what a. Do weird you think player. that scene was shot? I wonder now because they were supposed to have slept together, Picard and Janice. I wonder if there was some weird disconnect where. That was supposed to have happened, and that line was written and not resolved, even though that scene was cut out. Like, or, mm. we never went down that road, and they didn't 
clean up that part of the script was like, I know something happened, but I don't know everything. Yeah, I'd like that that better than what ended up happening because it just ends up being creepy. Uh, right, but well, it would have been people cons- are creepy, so like fine. It would have been consequential then, right? Like the yeah. meeting Janice had zero consequences on this episode, uh, and it really didn't mm-hmm. even they didn't even go into the impact on Picard. Like that could have been like choices made because he was in love with this woman, and it, it was all inconsequential. It, it really didn't matter that he bumped into. It, it didn't play into the time loop stuff. It didn't. You know, it was like two storylines that seemed to be the backstory of each other. And neither one was actually the forefront. Uh, or, or They were both a little out of focus. So, I mean, that's a good point, Jimmy. I wish there... I mean, that's a literal time warp. If you're stuck in that moment of like what I would have done if I had done something differently, you know, 40 years ago uh, in Paris, right? And like that's... We've all experienced that. You're right. So that it could have played with those themes. But... After this, we get the planning uh, scene in the observation lounge, and Denise comes in to interrupt, and immediately everyone else gets out of the room. (laughs) Out of there. They deuce out so fast. I will not be a cock blocker. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where you get the scene that you really want with with an ex, right? To have that kind of reunion, like going to the the 30-year high school reunion and being like, hey, uh, How's your life been? What what? Why did you do that to me thirty years ago? Uh, and it's played off in a in a kind of cute way. Yeah, I love the back and forth of that. He immediately goes to the truth, and she goes, "No, no, 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 fuck that! Don't tell me the truth. Lie to me. Tell me, tell me you couldn't make it. Tell me it was raining. Tell me it was." And then through that, you know, of course she wants the truth. Of course she wants to hear what she wants to hear. But uh, it's a really nice way to sort of couch that conversation and. Uh, and also does a really nice job, I think, of sort of distilling down what what is a lo- really lovely little relationship in a very tiny amount of time. Like you kind of get a feel for what their relationship must have been like, which is maybe playful and uh, romantic and, you and know. Flirtatious. Flirtatious, yeah. Well, and here's where it pays dividends to hire someone who's been on Falcon Crest for a while. Like this is. <laughs> Not this landing. Is, or th- thank you. A, a huge primetime soap that no one ever thinks about anymore, but at the time was one of the big boys, one of the big hitters, right? Yeah. So she's used to doing these overwrought uh, emotional scenes every week and brings a kind of command to it that, that really is fun to watch. Like she is more familiar with this kind of scene, I think, than the average guest star that comes in. Uh, and she holds her own against one of the great classical actors of all time. It's really fun to watch. Yeah. And you can see why they would have had a relationship. You can see uh, a little bit of the tendrils of it, but Jimmy, you were saying you didn't, you didn't really feel that this had had an earned moment or that it felt like it was, um, you know, meaningful for Picard. Can you talk a little bit about that? I thought, yeah, I thought the love, the, the relationship between them didn't impact it enough. Like I, I didn't feel consequences. Like it, it, it impacted what was happening on this episode. Like there was like, Oh, this lover is here. Um, maybe the time thing won't be taken care of now. Like it didn't seem to really feed into that. It was just this, this side loop, uh, our sideline. And that scene specifically, I thought Michelle Phillips did a really good job. Like I believed her. She was playful. 
Um, and she's a gorgeous woman. So you like you you can see how any man would fall for her just on that. But uh, the one thing I thought was missing, in, and it's an acting thing, I thought she was too playful. Um, and there's a line where she says, you know, because like Kate said, she was like, tell me it was raining. Tell me it was what? These are setups because she says, oh, yeah, it was raining the day you left me. And I sat in the rain all day. And she played that totally believable, totally, but totally joking. Like, it didn't infect me. I, I'm not bothered by it anymore. And I really, as a director, I would have been like, I believe you. How about we try it where I see that it did affect you, that it was a painful moment, that it's still painful when you talk about it. So, like, and it would have been a great juxtaposition of playfulness of, oh, tell me it was raining. Tell me it was this. And then that day it was raining and I waited for you all day. And you didn't show up. It would have been great if we would have solved a card as he was doing, getting closer. Like, this might happen. I might finally have this woman I love. And she crushes it. And it's like, mm-mm. Nope. You could have had it, but she, you, you walked away. And yeah. you're never going to have it again. Like, you don't get the chance. I think it's um, too and, much of an easy pass, right? Like, he, she, does, she doesn't really... Yeah, yeah. Exact, I would have liked to have seen her crush apology. her. Yeah. or crush or him even like, like regret from him like He's you just think like, you're a badass picard but uh-uh yeah you ain't I, getting this i'm the queen I, bee <laughs> i feel like it's very possible that that approach came about because some of that is present in the line and that uh, you know i yeah. know that after yeah, yeah. a big thing like this i i'm always beating myself up about not having played it cool like and if you play it cool you play it so cool that they can't tell so like i i kind of mm. i think some mm. of the line agrees with what you're saying jimmy and she yeah. lets it out that way whereas she wants to be able to leave the room and and say to herself a little bit i hope he couldn't pick up at all that that bothered me that day mm. even even if she doesn't hold anything now and she kind of you know still has a wistful thing like i that's kind of where i go with it is that yeah she really is is better than I am in a situation where there can be some vengeance taken, and yeah. she doesn't. She can look back at it and go, "Oh, I no, hope you're he right. regrets it anyway." But I, no. I, I don't know. I think I mean, it's a good point, though, Eric, because you're. It is a. It's a. It's a good acting point because either way is absolutely correct. It, it's. It isn't wrong. Like either way is a great way to play the scene. It's Agreed. just. Who, uh, you know, the the person who has to decide which way to go, which, and I loved seeing the comeuppance, and I would have loved to have seen Picard get some comeuppance. Our there. old friend comeuppance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even the last line that Picard is uh, reacting to, she's she, I think, wants him to say, like, no, that's not it at all. Uh, she says, like, the real reason you didn't show up is because you thought a life with me would mean you were you were ordinary. And he pauses. It's a very long pregnant pause. And he's like, you know me so well. And I feel like that's the dickiest thing that he's done to date. Right. And she doesn't give him any. She's just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Isn't that funny? But no, that's 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 a bullshit line. Yeah, I'd be upset. And it's not like her life's ordinary. She gets to have the Mannheim effect every day. <laughs> 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 Don't sell your life short, girl. Uh, so then we get uh, the directly after this, which is probably a part, part of the reason why the Crusher Troy scene feels so off is because it's juxtaposed directly after this scene. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And that doesn't feel resolved at all. Do you just kind of get crushed or being like, well, it's a, she's a ghost and I don't, um, I can't compete with that. Was she competing? That's the thing I, that I get out of that. It was like, was she actually trying to compete for Picard? I mean, she hadn't been on camera, certainly. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nor was this, you know, directly, if, if this had sort of been directly after the Dixon Hill episode or directly after the, uh, the episode on the planet where she falls you know, uh, uh, it, the arsenal to, freedom, yeah, the arsenal of freedom. You know, this this would make a little bit more sense. Uh, but again, it just feels like something that's being thrown at the wall, uh, and it's one of those sticky octopuses that's gonna like hit the wall and then slowly make its way back down to the floor without ever having, right. you know, served any I real about purpose those since the eighties. Either <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I, I will say that as as a, a middle aged person who who found you know, kind of a a life partner in those years. I'm watching Crusher's reaction to someone who is clearly emotionally unavailable in this moment. And she writes it off and she walks out of the room and I'm like, fuck yeah, that's healthy as shit. She looks at him, sees how he reacts to this woman and goes, oh, there's nothing there. (laughs) And walks (laughs) out and I'm like, God, that's, really really centered beverly well done doctor she was already she off the stick ship. to it but she... like <laughs> what a great reaction if she could maintain that through line uh so then we uh get the plot information that data has figured out that the next detor- distortion were will occur uh quickly within you know an hour and a half and they're planning to have data go down to a safe place that Mannheim uh could give them directions maybe some codes to subvert some of the security things uh and as that happens Mannheim has a one-on-one with picard uh and tells him that if he doesn't survive for whatever reason that uh he has Mannheim's blessing to take care of janice you know because she's she's his so obviously yeah it's in his will his chattels yeah that's pretty grody uh, mm-hmm. when you unpack what's happening there, I think he's trying to say like, you know, I care for her. I'm sorry. I did all this. You know, I let her on these, uh, uh, silly experiments of mine away on this isolated base. Uh, and he's trying to make up for that, but it does feel real weird. I put her, <laughs> I put her in the safe room, which was really just a cardboard box that I taped with duct tape. <laughs> and crayon says safe room on the side of it. <laughs> backwards are <laughs> uh, so Picard sees, uh, kind of calls him on it and says I think you underestimate how badass she is uh, you know she's going to be fine without me having to take care of her uh, yeah he says uh, you underestimate her I know because I once did which I think is a great line yeah that's terrific it is it's the one line that made it from the script <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then Picard tells Data that, uh, you know, he's going to go on the way team alone. Uh, and then there's a bit of uh, phaser battling. Uh, as Kate and I were mentioning before we started recording, it's like the third time that Data gets in a laser fight. Well, he is familiar with the sound now. so Yes, yes, he now <laughs> knows what that sounds like. Is there, I'm going to get the name of this, of this move wrong. Uh uh, I think it's called like a Texas switch or a Texas handoff, uh, which is a film style, a film moment where uh, a person who is not data 
uh, somersaults across the opening, and then Spiner sticks his head out and shoots. But totally. it's, I think, very clearly not the same person. <laughs> I love it. I didn't catch it. I'll have to go back and look, but definitely. Yeah, and I classic. noticed it because the stuntman has slightly longer hair than yes. Data. So it kind of waves a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's not him. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I <laughs> can't wait to go great. back for that. Yeah, those little tricks are the best. I mean, you see it all the time when, you know, someone jumps over a car or... Uh, you know, uh, jumps out a window and then pops right back up. And you're like, that's not the dude. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's often the case. I, I you know, I have a, a friend that you might you might know too, Jimmy, out in out in New York, that was the stunt double for the kid in Gotham for a while, and that was always fun because you know you see this little kid running to jump through a window and then you know it's your friend that actually is doing that and then lands and becomes a little kid again yes so then uh data goes through the phaser battles it's also cool to note i think it's in this uh thing when Riker is uh talking about the plan here uh and you might have noticed this if you're watching this in the remastered version but there is one two second shot that they could not find the original master tapes for to uh do the hd version that we now see on netflix so it's it goes to a really terrible resolution uh that basically is a videotape vhs kind of upgraded up to to look you know, a little bit not distorted on our screen but the video quality is much uh much awful and it's the only point in the series uh that they were not able to find the original tapes for this too was this oh, cool. was this a Riker reaction moment yes Yes, I remember that clearly. I, I I rewound it because it it the quality changes noticeably. Did you think it was initially like a, a glitch in the Wi-Fi? Uh, I was looking for which pill I had taken. <laughs> I just... <laughs> which Manham effect is in, in, is is going on right now? <laughs> Um, but yeah, interesting that that for some whatever reason that they couldn't find the master's tapes for that uh, to 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 upgo it. Uh, we'll say I think John, uh, Jonathan Frakes has that tape in his private collection. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the distortion is going to occur in ninety seconds, and Data quickly tells us what he, he needs to do, which is drop antimatter into this very cool looking visual effect of mirrors shifting. Uh, that is in the lab uh, here. Jimmy, what did you think of that mirror? Effect? I loved it. Um, I have no idea why it has to be glass shimmering and shifting to be a time thing, but I absolutely am all in for it. I was like, yes, that's what yeah. a time loop looks like. Shimmering glass rotating. Uh, and uh, the, the three datas spread out, um, you know, like, he had the sciency thing that he had to drop into the middle of the shimmery thing. Um, but I loved it because that's sci-fi. I mean, that's <laughs> crazy science fiction stuff. Um, and it was one of my, it, it's the three guys leaving the ready room as soon as the love interest comes in in that scene. Like those are the two moments that I absolutely adore about this episode. Yeah, and it probably was not in the original script, uh, as as you mentioned. So they they kind of put in uh, an action sequence here with Data. It ends up being a pretty iconic shot with those three Datas, the one looking yeah. behind, and he says, "It's me." It's one of the first, you know, the only times that uh, Data doesn't use a contraction. But that's also kind of weird and off-putting 
subconsciously as well because it oh, seems like oh maybe that's why that. he's the one who's the right one to put it in uh just, he's the more human one yeah yeah that could be it uh or i think or I it's think lore it, i think <laughs> i did this before we started recording but it's, it's it's the goldilocks thing it's like he's not too forward he's not too back he's just right i like that <laughs> middle one i like that uh eric just when he said it's lore, his arm went over his microphone like he was throwing a, like a Grand Slam punch or something. It was amazing. I was celebrating my insight. <laughs> the Royals won today in the longest nine-inning game in Royals history. Woo! Opening day. Nice. Exciting. And it was only eight and a half innings. It was still four and a half hours. <laughs> Welcome back, yeah. baseball. Yep. 20 walks or hit by pitch or catch interference. Wow. That, well, that'll take time. Uh, the Yankees lost in extra innings at home on opening day, so that always just makes me happy. <laughs> Works for me. Hard to do that. I didn't hear any baseball until now, and that was making me happy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the football in months. Don't worry about it. Uh, so then, because of the magic MacGuffin being dropped in by Data, uh, Mannheim is back to normal. He's Everything. just fine. Again, no no long-term repercussions, no sort of you learned your lesson. Not only that, okay, the first thing he says is where my where's my wife and she's literally in, in the same room. She's just Next a step door. away. She's Waiting. just she's just a step away. Why isn't uh, she in the safe room? But <laughs> it is such a bullshit moment where he like he's got this second lease on life he's already had this moment with picard where he says i fucked up i shouldn't have done this i i left her alone i was too focused on everything and then the first thing he says is i'm so close we must go back and she is not jiving with this idea at all uh, she doesn't want to go back. And then he totally guilts her into it by bringing up their dead friends, which I think is just such bullshit. And then she's like, I guess we're going back to the planet. Science but he says he's going to change, Kate. You know, yes, he says, I, he I, says in his defense, it'll be different. It'll be this different time. this time. Well, he's pretty young. <laughs> I, th- I think his neurons are still highly elastic <laughs> that is some abuser language though too that is like it'll be different trust it'll me be I'll, different. I'll get so new friends amazing. and then we'll kill them oh my god how much of how we look at it now is changing politics and how much of it is we just didn't understand all this shit when we were 12 yes we didn't have it's social and emotional learning like we didn't yeah. have that stuff that now is so ubiquitous it's on kids cartoons but we did not have it and the people who are writing this just didn't have it in them to like my kids if they were writers wouldn't even think to write stuff like that because like this is really inappropriate <laughs> like you, you you can't treat people this way and it was we were oblivious back then I mean, I know I certainly was. And it seems like the writers through this whole season, there's many episodes we brought up where it's like, you can't say that anymore. I mean, we also had keys to our own homes because no one was there when we got home after school. And we basically took care of ourselves from from after school till dusk and somehow made right. it. I don't right. know how we're still alive. Right. 
I walked to school by myself in kindergarten. Uphill both ways. (laughs) It wasn't uphill, but it was long enough for somebody to abduct me if they wanted to. It wasn't through the the cow pastures around the corner. (laughs) And there's zero chance my children would have ever had that opportunity. None. And I'm a laissez-faire parent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are, Jimmy. Um, You know, it's it's. It's just fascinating to look back on because, you know, I when I was younger, I was very much into the anti-hero type uh, characters Mm -hmm. and still am. But like so many of the anti-hero characters that I see people write and and put out are are largely just bigots who are the main character, Uh, which is not the Mm -hmm. same thing as anti-hero. It's villain that gets more screen time than the whatever hero you can you can manage and it drives me fucking crazy uh so this this stuff that 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 i see in in one of my favorite shows you know and that it's everywhere it's like that that excuse won't work that humans are imperfect so characters are imperfect like that that's not the thing you can't give people these terrible views and actions and not address them in any way without contributing to them in society anyway uh, they do don't, they don't do it enough with this uh scene for sure um yeah. everything seems to go back to normal and then the closure between picard and janice is back with our friend edouard the waiter uh in in paris and this doesn't feel like it actually does anything other than it, it feels like too much like a just repeat of the scene that we've already yeah. seen, right? It's a Mannheim steamroller reference. <laughs> uh, the, the effect you have to go back and bring us Edward one more time <laughs> and have it feel almost like the same scene. Yeah. They have this very tortured goodbye where so much is left unsaid. And it's like, if it's going to be left unsaid, we've already unsaid that earlier <laughs> maybe this is where the uh the uh, encounter was designed to uh, happen as how do you, how what better way to say goodbye in paris uh but then a roll in the hay <laughs> i mean that's I what think... the hol- we've established that's what the holodeck is for right at least for Riker. <laughs> i think they call that a parisian goodbye right <laughs> <laughs> So That's when, an when you tell when you tell the computer where you want it to be and when, like at what point in human history does the computer just completely subsume uh, Google Maps and then also all of the online blueprint records and then also all of the Mormon genealogy records so that they can make sure that it's all perfect. Like it's it's well i i guess maybe staggering. they could just take minecraft at this point and just and rebuild it <laughs> upload it and you're good uh, yeah. everybody seems to have done a version of everything that exists well also important to note here that troy uh stabs her friend crusher in the back by orchestrating this goodbye yes not sure although she is orchestrating the goodbye part of it so maybe it's it's just trying to help him along with some closure so that he can have some openings for I'm, yeah, I guess she didn't some, know let's just, soft jazz she didn't know what was going to happen in there she didn't know <laughs> she, she's a she's a love maker a, you know a, a, 
wants to make everything happen. Uh, So they get their goodbye. Picard goes up and says, you know, let's 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 get out of here. But they get a cute moment that really hammers home that the title of this episode is a Casablanca reference uh, because they mentioned the Blue Parrot Cafe, which is the name of the cafe in Casablanca. And I don't know what anything in this episode has to do with Casablanca. It was supposed to because of the love story. And then they don't get together unrequited love, but they didn't ever go there. So it was like a, a, a another wasted opportunity because <laughs> the the romance was inconsequential. So the line is totally inconsequential. Well, which which one in in Casablanca didn't show up? I don't remember. I don't know about that part, Eric. I just mean the them not getting together at the end, where right it's leading up to that, and then they go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what that scene in Paris was supposed to evoke too. Was that like, you know, that scene at the airport at the end of Casablanca, right? But right. Well, I mean, there's the scene in Paris in Casablanca where the train leaves, and I don't remember if he doesn't show up that day or if she doesn't. I think she doesn't. Uh, we'll say that Mannheim didn't show up uh, on that yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but I did like the camaraderie though, like the fact that. Uh, Picard, Troy, and Riker are going to share a drink at the Blue Parrot Cafe uh, for some well-needed shore leave. That felt true and earned uh, as to what happened over the course of this episode to be like, let's get schnackered as friends because uh, I need to I need to talk about my love here. Which I it's done. it's always tough when he's your direct supervisor and superior. <laughs> Yeah, like doing? I guess let's go get wasted you can tell me about the one that got away it's a little <laughs> and make awkward. me pay for everything <laughs> <laughs> it's the 24th century money doesn't matter it's, that's true it's, it's, it's a barter system at this point it's, it's a barter system so what do you have to trade for a drink I don't know I have tons of barter dollars <laughs> The fake True money box. that Jimmy's got. All right, I so last uh, thoughts, Kate. What did you think about uh, Last Tango in Paris? No, we'll always have Paris. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a it's a bit of a mess of an episode. Um, there's some really lovely stuff in here, like the the performances. I think by and large are 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 really lovely. Um, there's some really nice character stuff, but uh, I'm with Jimmy in terms of. The, the whole episode doesn't really make an impact in terms of uh, the future um, and nor the, even the immediate future where it's just sort of, and then these things happened and then we walked away. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I like the sci-fi nature of it. The part that broke my brain. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it a uh, six brain breakers out of, out of 10. Nice. Eric, what did you think? I I give it five. I I give it five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't remember anything about this episode, and I thought I would because like it started, and I'm like, oh yeah, fencing. I I kind of remember that, and then uh, they they had the time warp, and I'm like, oh, I hadn't been expecting that, but like I kind of remember that, and I I kept having that that reaction all the way through. So I feel like a lot of this was me getting to sit back and let my brain break again, uh, as kind of a new episode of star Trek, the next generation that I'd forgotten about. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed it. So, um, I, 
I give it five. All right. Jimmy. Oh, it's tough for me because I love the sci-fi stuff. I thought that was on sci-fi tropiness. It was like a six or seven because it gave you a lot of time stuff. But uh, because the love was so inconsequential, I have to give it zero cuckolds. Whoa! Because nobody was cuckolded. That's true. And no uh, I think had somebody have to uh, put on the, uh, what is it? What was the it? horns. <laughs> the horns. <laughs> it might have been actually way more consequential. If, uh, it impacted the storyline of Crusher and Picard. This particular story. Like, it would have had so much more interest. So... Uh, I think, you know, if you're listening, should you or shouldn't you watch this? I'd say you can pass. It's does it it does not inform the canon at all. It's it's it has zero impact on Star Trek the next generation. So really what what worse does it have? <laughs> well, all right. Uh you know, at least Code of Honor is like it, it, it impacts it because of how terrible it was. This is just like <laughs> Nothing. As, <laughs> sorry, as, sorry. As a writer of reviews, it's hardest to write the one about something that's like, yeah, pretty good. I mean, you know, it's much easier to write about things you strongly hate or strongly like. Uh, and this is one that through talking about it, I actually started to see the flaws in it a lot more. I think, you know, if you're going on a very surface view and uh, watching this quickly and or just while you're doing something else, it's it's a great piece of sci-fi television from the 80s right but if you unpack all the things we've been talking about with the roles and the writing and how it didn't really complete any of the uh kind of intriguing ideas that it brought up uh and get to it you know you're right i think this is a pretty middle of the road episode so that is we'll always have paris uh it's inconsequential because they also just seem to gloss over the events from the very consequential uh, previous episode of Skin of Evil. Um, but we'll get to another fantastic consequential episode with Conspiracy next. And, and my, no Wesley. And more Wesley. More Wesley will be appearing. Or maybe not. I actually don't know if he's in that. But his pants will be wet regardless. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. The music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to reengage.